Oh, brothers, let us worship the Lord in the reading of his word, as it is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll read the whole chapter, 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you, for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were ensamples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen. God bless this reading of his holy word. may be seated. I'm going to direct your attention this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, and in particular, verse 5. And I'll say just briefly that unlike my previous sermons uh, in chapel, and unlike those I preach in my own pulpit, this tilts a little in the direction of the topical, but it is a burden that the Lord's given me, and this is a suitable setting, and I believe relevant for uh, ministers or those preparing for the gospel ministry. So the title is Unction and Preaching. Unction and Preaching. And I would direct your attention to verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Augustine was wrestling with the question of time, which is a deep and difficult uh, matter. And he said, what is time? If no one asks me, I know. But if I desire to explain it to someone who asks me, I don't know. And I suspect that many of us feel similarly to that when we think about this whole matter of unction in preaching or preaching in power and in the Holy Ghost. We, we know what it is. We, we pray, Lord, grant uh, to our brother liberty and help and unction in preaching. But when it comes to actually articulating, to explaining it, we find ourselves pressed. We find it a bit difficult for us to articulate. And really, that should be no surprise to us. We're, we're describing one aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And as Jesus told Nicodemus, there is much about the ministry of the Spirit that is uh, mysterious. But we're going with the Lord's help uh, this morning to seek to wade at least a little into those waters in order to furnish us with, with some aid and further reflection about this whole matter. And I should be clear here, we are isolating one discrete element about preaching. We're speaking about unction in preaching. There is, as our seminary teaches, far more to preaching than unction. Many, many, many more elements. But we're limiting ourselves to this one, to this matter of unction in preaching. So note, first of all, what unction is not. Look at the passage. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. So he begins by saying what his preaching wasn't in contradistinction to, to what it is. So he says it wasn't in word, it was not in word only. It wasn't the packaging of his preaching that he is highlighting. So in other words, unction is not the content of a sermon. It's not the content. It can't be, it's not something that can be reduced to what we write on paper, right? You can have a carefully crafted sermon. It can be well-organized. It can have orthodox content. It can have skillful application and probing um, experimental notes in it. You can have insight into the text. You can even have insight into the hearts of, of your hearers. And that's still not unction. It's not the packaging. All of those things I've just mentioned are exceedingly important. They're indispensable. But it's not unction. You know this in your own experience because you'll read, you know, Dalimore's biography of Whitfield and you hear all of these remarkable accounts of his preaching. And then you take his sermons, the volume of sermons off your shelf, and you, with breathless anticipation, crack the cover and begin to read and discover they're rather unremarkable. I mean, they're faithful preaching but it doesn't capture what you read of in, in the biography. It's not something that can be even reduced to, to delivery. You remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2, where he says in verses 3 and 4, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. He says, I was exemplifying weakness. It wasn't the packaging of his delivery. It was that he preached in demonstration of the Holy Spirit. You can't harness this with a matter of style. Men, you know, are tempted to, to somehow mimic or imitate the style of a faithful preacher. It's not personality. You know, ministers will at times be tempted to lean into that personality, even sincerely desiring for the word to have impact on people. And granted, God uses personality. When he gives unction, it's always going to come through the personality that God has given to the minister. But it's not these things. It's not, it's not uh, emotional intensity. People will say, wow, that was a moving sermon. Well, the emotional experience may have been moving without actually being a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I mean, unction obviously engages, this ministry of the Spirit engages all of our faculties. So that includes our emotions. They're going to find expression. 
but it's not unction itself. It's not the voice. It's not cadence, right? It's not the way in which we articulate things. It's not inflection. I mean, you can have a person who is loud and who's shouting and passionate, and you say, that's powerful. Well, their voice was powerful, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was coming with spiritual power. A loud voice isn't wrong. The prophet says, lift up your voice like a trumpet. We can do that. That's appropriate. But the fact is that, that oftentimes when the spirit is giving a measure of unction, it will sometimes work in the exact opposite direction. It'll actually subdue the minister. It'll actually quiet him. And there'll be a, a holy intensity. The words coming with weight and power upon the souls of those who are hearing. He says, it, my preaching was, was not in word only. So we can't, we can't confine this to, to a matter of gifts, for example. Gifts are requisite for the, for the gospel ministry. You must have gifts in order to be a gospel minister. And those gifts are varied. I mean, one man has certain strengths and weaknesses, and another has another set of strengths and weaknesses. And there's diversity and fluency of speech and eloquence and so on. But you'll remember again Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.10, for his letters say they are, what are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Paul's saying it wasn't the outward ornaments. God, God strengthens those ornaments. God employs them. God uses them for his glory. But that is not unction in preaching. That's not preaching in power and in the Holy Ghost. Secondly, what unction is? What unction is? So here's, the, here's what he sets in terms of jettison to what he begins with, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. So now we're getting close to something. What this, this unction is, the, the English word for, for unction, as many of you will know, derives from the Latin, which means uh, anointing. It's where our word comes from. But when we speak, when Reformed writers speak about unction and preaching, we're speaking about that aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry, which accompanies the appointed ordinance of preaching, and through which the Spirit conveys authority and power and boldness. That's what we're getting at. This, as Paul said, this demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So you can have faithful preaching, good preaching, with various degrees of unction from the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a reality. Any minister that's worth his weight will tell you there are times when, you know, the sermon feels as if it's one of your better sermons, maybe your best sermons, and yet you get into the pulpit and it's painful, and there's a sluggishness, and it's like, it's like walking through wet concrete, and there are other times when we know the help of the Lord, and there's a quickening and a strengthening and an emboldening uh, that the Lord gives. I think one way of getting at this whole concept is to come from a parallel angle that's familiar with us, an analogy, if you will. I direct your attention to larger catechism 182. 
In larger catechism 182, we're asked the question, how doth the spirit help us to pray? So we're not talking about preaching, we're talking about praying. How doth the spirit help us to pray? But I want you to note these words because our divines are onto something here. Halfway through the answer, we read, and by working and quickening in our hearts, although not in all persons, nor at all times in the same measure, those apprehensions, affections, and graces, which are requisite for the right performance of that duty. And we know immediately what they're talking about. You know those times when in the secret place, it's as if the Lord kicks open a window in heaven and gales come, as it were, and we're given liberty and we're given a sense of God's presence and we're, we're flooded with help to wrestle with the Lord in, in prayer. Well, just as in prayer, so in preaching. And it's, it's not in all persons nor at all times in the same measure. But the Lord gives to his, to his, his gospel ministers this help. You think of the, the language of describing the Lord Jesus in Luke 4, verse 18, which is quoting Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, no one here is going to be so foolish as to conflate and confuse the fact that Christ is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the anointed mediator of God's people. We're not going to, you know, conflate that with what a minister of the gospel is. But you, you think of how the, the language that's employed in describing the apostles' ministry in this regard, because in Acts 4, it says, uh, in verse 8, it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, and you go down to verse 13, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They were seeing something in the apostles' ministry that was reminiscent of what they had seen in the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry. Go down later in that chapter to verse 31. And when they had prayed, we're told, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. This isn't Pentecost. This is two chapters later. And they're being filled again with the Spirit and being enabled to speak the word of God with boldness. Peter says later in his first epistle, he speaks of preaching the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And so there's this, this work where the minister is working and the spirit is working simultaneously, right? Colossians chapter one, whom we preach, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily, right? This, the spirit accompanying the ordinance that God's appointed in the life and ministry of, of the minister. And I think one way that we begin to understand what it means to, to preach in the, with power and in demonstration of the Holy Spirit to preach, you know, in the Holy Ghost is to actually look at what the Bible tells us about the fruit. You can see the influence. You can see the impact. 
that the Bible gives to us, and I'm going to limit myself to two for brevity, the most pronounced fruit, bar none, is the overwhelming sense of the presence of God. How do we know that? Well, you look at the example given in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, because there in verses 24 and 25, it says, Paul is speaking, and he's speaking about those coming into the public assembly, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned. So you got an unconverted person coming in. He is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. What is, what is he saying? He's saying that the, the experience of those who come in to the house of God, they are left with this overwhelming sense. They're saying, God is here. God has come and visited us. They, they're, they're, they're broad on their faces before him. Their, their hearts are ransacked and laid open under the light of God's word. And in such cases, the preacher is erased, right? He falls into the background, and then he falls out of the background. And there is this sense that the Lord himself is coming to deal with souls. 2 Corinthians 2, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. People have a sense, God is dealing with me. Right? No longer do you have what I call sermon sippers. Those who come and say, well, I'll taste a little of that. I'll taste it a little. This suits my fancy. That doesn't serve, suit my fancy. They're riveted on the word of God. They're taken up. They're, they're consumed with a sense that God is coming and speaking to them. And what is true of the people in the pew is true of the preacher as well. The preacher's also having the same experience. He loses sight of himself. He loses sight even of what people are thinking and saying and so on. There's an overwhelming sense of humility. And isn't that what the Bible tells the Old and New Testament? Every time God appears to anyone, it's the same response. Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Down he goes. Daniel falls as dead. You know, John in the Revelation chapter 1 falls as dead before Christ and so on. There's this sense of humility, not self-gratification. Well, that was a good sermon, and, you know, I feel good about that. The minister instead, if anything, wants to shrink into solitude. He wants to disappear. There's this, I've been with God. I've been before the Lord Almighty, wanting to be alone with him. That's the, I think, most pronounced fruit of preaching with unction. Uh, the second is change, and this is super important as well. When men preach with unction, change results. You know, people don't just come uh, filing out of the pews and say, wow, you know, I really enjoyed that. That was a good sermon without change, right? People can do all of that, and yet nothing is different from what happened before the sermon. But if this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit we're talking about, and it is, then it should bear the marks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. 
there will be change. Sinners will be converted. Men and women, boys and girls will be converted under the preaching of God's word. Those who are sincere believers, who are in a state of of grace in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, will have noble changes in terms of their sanctification. There will be kingdom advance that is happening when there is the preaching with unction of the Holy Spirit. There has to be change. And if there's lots of comments about any one of our sermons and no change, it should be a deep grief to our souls. It should be a deep grief to our souls. Thirdly, some deterrence, some deterrence to, to, to unction. It's interesting that Paul says here, and in much assurance says, ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. He's actually appealing to something in his own piety, his own character there. There are deterrents, and the field here is way too wide for us to even uh, wade into or venture into. The overwhelming concern should be obvious. The overwhelming concern is us quenching the spirit. The overwhelming concern should be us anyway contributing to grieving the Holy Spirit. But I'll give you two deterrents that I think are relevant for for us in this particular setting and and circumstance. The first is leaning on the arm of flesh. Leaning on the arm of flesh is a way in which we grieve the spirit. Leaning on the arm of flesh. So we have crutches and we, 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 we appeal to those crutches. We lean on them. We put our weight on crutches. And again, I'm going to give you one example of how this bears out in our, in our ministries. And in, in what I'm saying, I'm speaking for my own failures. And that's true of everything else that I'm saying here. But you'll note Jesus's, um, the description of Christ preaching at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 29. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. As one having authority and not as the scribes. Well, what do we know about the scribes? Now, you know, we could go into all sorts of things and your professors could tell you far better than I. But one of the things that was notable about the scribes is that their preaching was basically an indexed to rabbinical writings. And so what would they do? They would, they would get up and give you a catalog. Here's the text, and Rabbi so-and-so says this, Rabbi so-and-so says that, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and on and on they would go. The Lord Jesus Christ comes, and he opens the word of God and begins to preach. He comes as one who has come from God, and he speaks from the word right into the lives and hearts of those that are sitting before him. And they say, wow, this is different. He's preaching with authority. This isn't what we're accustomed to with with the scribes. And there's a danger here, I think, for us in our particular portion of Christ's vineyard, a danger in the indispensably valuable use of our Reformed fathers and the abuse or misuse of our Reformed fathers. Because when, when, when we're filling a sermon with so-and-so says this. What you're really doing is you're saying so-and-so says that God says this. There's something that's indirect in that, right? There's something that we're, we're, we're taking a, a sidestep, if, if you will. 
And so we, we need to be careful here. Now, you know, those of you who know me will, 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 will reinforce that I love our reformed literature. I am a read till you bleed minister. I believe very much we need to have humility and we need to have the humility to learn from those with more light than ourselves. But that is different from the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our own souls, us wrestling with the Lord, us wrestling with his word. You can't just fill your sermons with hearsay. And it amounts to everything comes secondhand. Right? Instead of, instead of coming from Owen to the people, right? We ought to be coming from the throne room, not our libraries, to the people. And so we, we can take the books that we, we read and make good use of them, right? They, they're springboards for us. They help us open up the word of God. They give us seed thoughts, but they cannot, will not, and do not circumvent our need to take what help we're given and to go back on our faces before the Lord and to soak in the text of scripture, right? It's the difference between providing someone with a frozen meal out of the freezer section at Walmart and actually preparing fresh prepared food. You'll end up flat, you'll end up dry, you'll end up shallow. And really the, the worst place for this, Greenville is the exception, the worst place for this is conferences. Man's given a topic and what he does is he creates a collage, right? He, he goes you know, to his library and he collects and collates everything that anybody's, all the reformed people have written on that topic. And then he comes up and, and then you know, spills it out to us. I had a, this is not meant to be funny. This is actually very serious, but I had a particularly extreme case of this. I was preaching at a reform conference over 10 years ago. I'm sitting in the pew, listening to a man, you know, give an address. And it was almost literally sentence after sentence. So-and-so says this, this person asserts that and on and on and on he goes. And he's just droning on and on. And you think to yourself, do, do you know anything? I mean, have, do you have anything to say yourself as the Lord taught you anything and we get this is not funny two-thirds of the way through and he says this is verbatim as robert lewis dabney said god is good and i thought i'm done here i'm finished you can't even say that god is good without quoting dabney whom i love but something is tragically wrong here something is wrong we all know that sort of thing makes for terrible writing it also makes for very bad preaching as well. You need something in your own basket. Meditation on the word of God, being filled with light. Yes, use the springboard and seed thoughts, but do not cut and paste. Digest it. You know, come back to the word with it. The irony in all of this is that everybody's quoting the Puritans left, right, and center, but you read the Puritans and they're polemical writings accepted they're quoting their opponents they're furnished you know they're drawing on others who support their position but in their normal writings they don't do this you don't have you know flavel just one after another after another after another quote some irony i think in all of that it makes makes us all ask ourselves are we just admiring or are we actually emulating these men are we seeking to just stay in the shallows and for 50 years of ministry, repeat, repeat what others have said, are we actually growing into maturity ourselves? 
There's a difference between leaning on the crutch and actually depending on the Lord, feeding our own souls, not just passing on leftovers. This is a deterrent, leaning on the arm of flesh instead of being on our faces in dependence upon the exalted Christ. The second deterrent is pride. God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. God resists the proud, right? No self-satisfaction. No thinking about our performance. You know, younger ministers, you, you, you'll be students, you'll be, you know, people will come to you and they'll say, well, yeah, that was phenomenal. And, you know, you're the, the best preacher. And we all know that young guys and students, they need encouragement and so on. And we appreciate that. But I hope that you are never dumb enough to believe it. I hope I'm sincere in that because you're not phenomenal. And I'm not phenomenal, right? Let's, let's not nurse those sort of things in the back of our, our heads. The, the truth is, as you mature into, into ministry, you'll find this thing rather, you'll find this sort of thing rather revolting because it feels as if the sermon failed. If people are saying, you're a phenomenal preacher, this is absolutely amazing, so on and so forth. If you're like me, I often say to myself before I go into the pulpit, Let's go fetch a little glory for the king. That's the goal, to exalt Christ and the Father and with him the Holy Spirit and so on. And if someone is coming and talking about us, then we haven't, we haven't obtained what we actually sought. What a minister does want to hear is a person coming and saying, this is what God has done for my soul. I have been converted under the preaching of the gospel. The Lord has dealt with me, and these are areas he's exposed, and these are areas he's assisting. Here's comforts that have been provided. The minister can hear that all day long, a godly minister of what God has done in, in a soul. Beware of pride. Lastly, seeking this, this unction, and here are some relevant applications for us all, seeking this unction. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. And he reserves the prerogative to himself on when and where and to what degree he gives unction in preaching, according to the counsel of his own will, and all to the praise of his own glory and, and grace. But that does not mean that we are purely passive. Any more than we're purely, you know, in evangelism and in preaching the gospel, it's the spirit who works by and where and how he wills. But we're not passive in that. And there's not passivity here either. So let me give you some things to at least consider. The first, in terms of seeking this unction, the first is this. Cultivate. Cultivate an acute sense of helplessness. Of desperation. Of dependence upon the Lord. Why? Because you are. You are helpless. You are desperate. And you are absolutely dependent upon the Lord. The difference is you need, by the help of God, to cultivate a sense of it, a sight of it, a knowledge of it. When your sermon preparation is done and it's all complete and you've digested your notes and you've put as much of it into your heart and head as possible, you're only at the beginning. It's at that point as with all through your preparation, 
that you have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need more than this. I need more than this, right? Second Corinthians three, we heard, you know, verses five and six, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us, made us able ministers of the new Testament. But we, chapter 4, but we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 12, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's saying, I'm glorying in my weaknesses, my infirmities. I'm actually cultivating them. I'm not covering them. I'm facing them. I'm, I'm, I'm being brought under a sense of them, knowing that the power of Christ comes through all of that weakness. And so, brothers, we need to cultivate a sense of absolute, abject helplessness. Right? You remember all those accounts. You, have, you get it with Robert Bruce. You get it with David, uh, John Livingston. You get it in all these places. They overhear him praying before, before the worship service. And what are they saying? I won't go. They're wrestling with the Lord. I won't go unless thou dost go with me. Right? A sense of dependence upon the Lord. Secondly, we need far more prayer. Far more prayer. If unction comes from heaven, if unction comes from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, then we have to beg it. We have to beg for it. We have to beg for it from the Lord, right? The Lord teaches us in, in Luke 11 that this is exactly what we're to do. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? You're to ask, Lord, here's the paper. Give me the power. Give me the power. The paper is nothing in and of itself. I can't, like Paul says, preach in word only. Give me, O oh Lord, the, the, the power. Right? We need to pray far more than we do. And that's something that takes place all the way along. Owen says something, and this is an approximation, not a direct quote, but he says, you know, the, the minister who is more frequent, um, who is more frequent in his pulpit to his people than he is in prayer for his people is a worthless messenger. You think about that. How much is given in terms of gospel ministry to prayer? I'm talking about praying specifically for every person in our congregation, bringing all the needs, all the spiritual circumstances, all that they're facing on a habitual basis. So that when you climb up into the pulpit and you look out into your congregation, you can go down that pew and that pew and that pew and that pew. And you have prayed for every one of their souls and their needs as you come to preach for them. Asking the Spirit to bring home the word to their bosom, to bring it to the quick of their, their own hearts. Brothers, we cannot give them what they need. We cannot give them what they need. Unless God gives it to them, they'll go without it. We have to pray that the Lord would give it to them. They need to pray as well. Remember the Dutch proverb minister would say to his people, you pray me full and I'll preach you full. Right? They need to be praying. 
for the, the, the unction of the Holy Spirit as well. Another thing is that we need to align our message with what the scripture says about how the spirit works. Aligning our preaching with what the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit's ministry. So the Bible tells us that the spirit comes to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment of, to come. And so we preach, taking the word and aiming it at the conviction of sin. We're told that the Spirit comes and takes the things of Christ and shows them to us, that the Spirit magnifies the Son. And so we are diligent to preach Christ and to set forth and lift up and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ as Christ crucified, knowing that that's how the Spirit works. And we can multiply many more examples. We need to align our preaching with the people as well. A good preacher has to be a good pastor to know what the needs are, to be in and among the people and seeing the challenges, the questions, the heartaches, the struggles, and so on. And then to that people, the Lord should give you a burden for this people. When you are called to a congregation, you're called as the pastor of those particular people. Woe be heaped upon woe to ministers who preach for an internet audience. The Lord called you to preach to this people who are sitting in front of you and to bring God's word with a burden for them, to preach with faith, coming as a witness, testifying of what God has said, confident in the ordinance of preaching, confidence in the promises, confident in the presence of God. That means that we're going to have to slow down in solitude, brothers. We need lots of fellowship and communion with Christ, with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need, we need to slow down. No competing demands. When you sit down or kneel down before the Lord with an open Bible and go to meditate, to soak, to think leisurely, to spend time in protracted periods of prayer, to linger before the Lord, right? We need this. Bring the Lord with you to the people when you're preaching, to bring that aroma, which evidently those in the New Testament church could smell, that says, this one's been with Christ. I note that they have been with, with Christ. That means that you need to know Christ yourself. You need to have seen God in his glory yourself. You have had to have been tutored and, and, and broad and sweet fellowship with the Lord yourself. And there are no shortcuts for that. There are no time savers. There's no trimming. You have to block out time and say nothing else but me and the Lord. Here in these moments. We need to slow down in solitude. Preaching involves heavenly transactions, right? Away, away with all of the, the nonsense that we have in Reformed circles, not in Greenville Seminary, but what we have in Reformed circles where people speak about the plain means of grace as if, as if it were ex opera operata in preaching, like it is in the supper, that it's something absolutely automatic, that we just, you know, you can have a, you can have a polished and a gentlemanly and a, and a cogent discourse that's as dry as dust and no sense of the need of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit.
Right. No, we're to preach, as Paul says, we're to preach in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. We need help, brothers. We need help for that. We need the Lord to give us the ability to preach in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. May He hear our cries. May He grant our petitions and enable us to do so more and more for his own glory. Stand together for prayer. Our gracious and eternal God in heaven, the God who is the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, to whom be glory and honor forever. O Lord, we come in the strong and glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we desire to see him being given all of the preeminence, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. O Lord, we confess that we must cast ourselves in the dust. We are nothing. We have nothing. We can do nothing. We are needy. And we pray, O God, grant to us help from heaven. Do kick open a window to grant to us the outpouring of the effusions of the Holy Spirit, that we might be enabled more and more and with greater and greater degrees to preach in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. O Lord, grant that these young men who are laboring and looking to venture out into the vineyard as heralds sent from heaven, grant that they would be furnished with such and grant that it would redound to the glory of Jesus Christ in the advance of his kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.